This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Grandpa's Globe. Episode 17, Egypt and the Pharaoh's Treasure Three camels walked through a sandy desert. Behind them, a trail of hoofprints stretched into the distance. Grandpa and the twins each sat on one. Grandpa in the front, then Susie and Sawyer in the rear. Susie sat confidently atop her desert steed with perfect posture, her dark hair neatly tucked up into a straw hat. 
Behind her, Sawyer held onto his camel's furry hump, bouncing along uncomfortably like a toddler refusing to let go of his teddy bear. This looked way more comfortable in the movies, Sawyer said, adjusting his legs. Maybe next time you'll actually listen to me when I tell you to use a saddle, Grandpa said. His camel strutted beneath him, a colorful patterned blanket draped along its back. Why didn't you just bring the saddle? Susie asked, taking a sip from her canteen. Cuz, Suze, it doesn't look as cool when you use a saddle, Sawyer said. I want to be like a true Egyptian. Grandpa looked back at him. True Egyptians don't look like they're trying to wrestle their camels to the ground. Susie giggled. Don't give him any ideas. I could take him, Sawyer said, sizing up his camel. He shifted again. His inner thighs were starting to ache from the long journey. Uh, How much longer till we get there, Gramps? We're almost there, Grandpa told him. It's just over that dune. You said that like ten dunes ago. Grandpa smiled. Well, this time I mean it. Grandpa, why do Egyptians use camels? Susie asked. Good question. Camels, or the ships of the desert as some like to call them, have been used to transport goods and people across deserts for thousands of years. They're the only desert animal who can carry heavy loads and travel for long periods without food or water. They're perfect for this setting. But don't let the movies fool you. Egypt has all kinds of modern transportation as well. There are cars, trams, buses, and more in the cities. Grandpa and the twins made it to the top of the dune. Down below they saw a wide river with green grassy banks. Palm trees and desert shrubs hung out over the water. Grandpa wiped the sweat from his forehead and took in the view. See, Sawyer, I told you it was just over this dune. Water! Sawyer shouted. Like an excited cowboy, he flicked hard at his camel's reins, making the animal charge down the hill towards the water. Sawyer bounced awkwardly as he clung to the camel's hump. Susie, watch! Watch, Suze! Susie folded her arms and watched as Sawyer carefully stood on the running camel's back. Just before he reached the river, he jumped. Woo! Poof! He face-planted hard in the sand just a few feet from the water. As the cloud of sand settled, his camel casually walked past him and lapped up the cool water. Susie and Grandpa took their time descending the hill and riding up to see if he was okay. Are you alright? Grandpa asked. (coughs) Sawyer coughed up some sand. I'm good. I was talking to the camel. Susie reached down from her mount and helped Sawyer to his feet. Never saw that in the movies, she said with a smile. She looked up at Grandpa. Where are we, Grandpa? This is the Nile River, Grandpa said, hopping off his saddle. It is the longest river in the world. The Nile is over 4,100 miles long and runs up through nine countries on the African continent before emptying out into the Mediterranean Sea. Ancient Egyptians relied on the Nile for food, water, and transportation. This here is what made growing crops in Egypt possible. 
What does the guidebook say we're supposed to do here? Susie flipped open the guidebook. That's weird. It doesn't say. Usually the next set of instructions fade onto the page by now. Can we ride on that thing until we figure it out? Sawyer said, pointing to a black boat docked on the riverbank. Grandpa's eyes followed the boat to a crude tent made of colorful blankets. They widened when he saw two men in black speaking to a local. Get down, he whispered. Sawyer and Susie crouched with Grandpa behind a desert shrub. What is it? Susie asked. I think it's the dragon. What? But the globe wasn't even spinning on its own, Sawyer said. This shouldn't be a mission. I didn't think so either, Grandpa said. What do you think they're doing here? Susie asked. Let's find out. Grandpa took off his sweaty fedora hat, turned it so the bowl faced the tent, and then pressed his ear against the cap and listened. What are you doing? Sawyer asked. Hats don't amplify sounds, Grandpa. Shh! This one does. Grandpa turned the strap on the crown of the hat, and the volume increased. Voices sounded through an invisible speaker. Sawyer and Susie were amazed. Cool! Can I see that? Sawyer asked. No. That's an interesting language, Susie said. Is that Arabic? Grandpa's bushy eyebrows shot up. Clever girl. It sounds like they're talking about a secret place. Something about a key and them getting into the pharaoh's tomb. There's something of great worth that they're searching for. Grandpa squinted and focused on the words. Ah, my Arabic's getting rusty. I think the local is selling them the key and giving them directions. Hard to tell for sure. The dragon henchman sounds skeptical. They're threatening him and saying they'll be back if it's not the right key. Sawyer shrugged. Key, Pharaoh's tomb, something of worth, what does it all mean? Suddenly, Grandpa stiffened. They're going after Seti's treasure. Of course! Why else would they be here? He's one of the richest pharaohs of ancient Egypt. What's a pharaoh? Sawyer asked. They were the ancient kings of Egypt and held an incredible amount of power. Their people considered them to be gods. Susie flipped through the dragon's secret plans but found nothing on Egypt. Are you sure those are dragon henchmen? There's nothing in here about them having operations in Egypt. That's what they're doing, I'm sure of it, Grandpa insisted. They're going to steal the pharaoh's riches and do who knows what with it. We have to stop them. But how? Sawyer asked. The henchmen were getting back into their black boat and pushing off from the shore. Susie looked down as the next set of instructions finally faded into the guidebook. We follow the black boat. Before the henchmen could get too far, Grandpa had bought a narrow boat with a cloth canopy from a local merchant and had them following the black boat. Grandpa kept back far enough to keep them from being noticed. They cruised quietly along the river, passing farms and dunes and small towns. So why does this pharaoh guy have a bunch of treasure? Sawyer asked loudly. Was he like an Egyptian pirate or something? Shh! Talk quietly, Grandpa said. Sawyer whispered, but really just made his voice scratchier, not quieter. 
Why does this pharaoh guy... Is that whispering for you? Yes, you're loud. Take it down ten notches. These guys are trained to be on the lookout for tails. When a pharaoh died, a pyramid was constructed as their tomb. The body was mummified, wrapped in linen cloth, and sometimes covered with plaster. Then it was laid in a sarcophagus, those fancy stone coffins with the Egyptian face. Egyptians mummified their king's bodies to preserve them for the afterlife. They even safeguarded the king's organs by storing them in containers called canopic jars. One for the stomach, intestines, lungs, and liver. Gross! Awesome! Sawyer and Susie said at once. The heart was left in the body because the Egyptians believed it was the center of all intelligence and emotion. They were also buried with many of the belongings they would need in the afterlife. Treasures of gold, fine jewelry, and incredible riches. Pharaoh Seti was one of the richest kings of Egypt. There's probably a mountain of wealth buried with him in his pyramid. How big are these pyramids exactly? Sawyer asked. Grandpa pointed over Sawyer's shoulder. Sawyer turned and saw a gigantic stone triangle come into view. That big, Grandpa said. On that side of the Nile is Giza, home of the pyramids. On the other is Egypt's capital, Cairo. Susie looked down at the guidebook. It sang to stop at the Pink Sphinx Cafe in Cairo. Grandpa's caterpillar brows frowned. What? Why? The dragon is getting off on the other side of the river. We don't have time for lunch. We have to follow them to the pyramids. I'm just reading what it says, Grandpa. I know, Grandpa groaned. Okay, let's be quick about it so we don't get too far behind. Grandpa and the twins docked their boat on the Cairo side of the river and asked for directions to the Pink Sphinx Cafe. On their way there, they took in the sights and sounds of the city. It was huge, with streets full of cars and buses. Tall skyscrapers and concrete apartment buildings were stacked up and down the roadways like Legos. Lots of the structures were square, but scattered about were domed buildings like Cairo's Citadel, a medieval fort that looked like a round-topped castle with turrets and tall, pencil-thin towers. They passed it on their short bus ride before stopping at a tiny cafe sandwiched between apartment buildings. Sticking out above the entrance was a statue of a pink sphinx. Grandpa and the twins went inside and took a seat. A man approached wearing an Egyptian longshirt called a galabaya and a dark pink turban on his head. The man's bushy black beard bounced as he spoke. Welcome to the Pink Sphinx Cafe. My name is Aziza. I will be your server. What can I get for you today? Sawyer already had his menu open. Um, I'll take one of these thingies. I can't pronounce the name, but the picture next to it looks super good. He held up his menu and pointed for the man to see, but the man just stared straight ahead. No, right here, see? Sawyer, Grandpa quietly interrupted. He pointed to the man's eyes and cane and mouthed the word blind. I'm not blind, Aziza said, still staring off, somehow guessing what Grandpa was suggesting. You want the Baba Ganoush. 
And you, young man, he patted Susie's head. Sawyer held in a laugh. You clearly have a sweet tooth. I see you eyeing that basbooza. Susie hadn't even cracked open her menu yet. I'll bring you the biggest one I have. Feeling his way with his cane, Aziza went back to the kitchen and minutes later returned with their dishes. The baba ganoush, which wasn't anything like what Sawyer was pointing to in his menu, was a grilled mashed eggplant dip served with pita. Susie's basbooza was a sweet semolina cake soaked in a syrup made from rose water, lemon, and honey. Sawyer finished as quickly so he could play with Grandpa's cool amplifying hat. He pointed it around the cafe and turned the volume strap. Whoa, that guy over there has burped like three times. Put that thing away, Grandpa said loudly into the hat. Sawyer dropped it and rubbed his ear. Susie, please tell me we have our next set of instructions. There's got to be something in there about the dragon. Okay, okay, I'm here, Aziza said, walking back up to their table. You don't all have to wave me over. I can see you. Grandpa looked at the twins to see if either of them had waved him over. They hadn't. Aziza smiled through his beard. What can I do for you and your little boys? Susie's mouth gaped in offense. Sawyer held back another laugh. I don't think... Grandpa started, but Susie jumped in. Can you get us into Seti's tomb? She asked. Grandpa looked at her, shocked that she would speak so frankly with the man. But after she pointed down at the guidebook, he realized she was following the next set of instructions. Aziza glanced over his shoulders, even though he couldn't see. What is the password? He whispered, leaning in. Susie cocked an eyebrow as the password faded onto the page in front of her. She cleared her throat. <clears throat> Pinksy, Sphinxy, Winksy, Tinksy. Aziza nodded seriously. You have a very high voice, even for a young boy. You are correct. Meet me out back in ten minutes. Grandpa ducked as Aziza whirled his cane around and headed for the kitchen. After ten very long minutes of waiting, they went out behind the cafe and found Aziza, sitting in the driver's seat of a little car. Grandpa and the twins exchanged a nervous look before hesitantly hopping in. What took you so long? Aziza asked them. I've been out here waiting. But you said... Grandpa shook his head. Never mind. Here, I'll drive and you can give me directions. Aziza frowned. Why would you drive? There was a long pause. Aziza tapped his fingers along the steering wheel. Right. Well, Grandpa sat back in the passenger seat. You seem to know what you're doing. Take us to Seti's tomb. He glanced back at the twins and pointed aggressively to their seatbelts. Vroom! The car jerked forward, zipping down the alley and swerving under the busy streets. Grandpa and the twins silently prayed for their lives as they zigzagged down the road, flying over narrow bridges and skimming by honking cars. They barely missed several screaming pedestrians who dove for their lives, until finally they screeched to a stop in front of the pyramids. Sawyer and Susie had to pry their fingers from the seat in front of them.
Sawyer considered kissing the ground as they got out of the car. The Great Sphinx of Giza, Aziza announced, holding out his hand at Barren Desert. <clears throat> Grandpa grunted and pointed for the kids to look in the opposite direction where the Sphinx actually was. When they saw it, they were impressed. The giant stone sculpture of an Egyptian head on a lion's body was in remarkable condition for its age, apart from missing its nose. It lay in the sand, outstretched with its head upright like it was doing a really uncomfortable yoga pose. Beautiful, isn't it? Aziza said, still gazing off at nothing. The Sphinx is a mythological creature carved out of bedrock. It's 240 feet long and 66 feet tall and has the head of Pharaoh Khafra. They say it was built around 2550 BC and to this day stands as a guard to the Pharaoh tombs. <laughs> Grandpa put his arm around the man and turned him towards the pyramids. Very interesting. Now, show us the way to Seti's tomb. <laughs> of course! This way, boys! Susie rolled her eyes, and they followed their guide to the pyramids. The closer they got, the bigger they became. Sawyer couldn't stop staring at them. While they walked, Grandpa talked about how the pyramids were made of millions of blocks cut out of limestone, and how some of them were over 400 feet tall. They came to a stop in front of the second biggest one that had to be at least that tall. It was huge. At its base, in the corner, was a small doorway. There were men dressed in black carrying a big box into what appeared to be a secret entrance. I knew it, Grandpa whispered. The dragon's here to steal Seti's treasures. See? See that box? Yes, I see it, Aziza said, staring off. Can you get us into Seti's tomb? Grandpa asked. Psh, does Aziza have the eyes of a hawk? Again, there was an awkward silence as Grandpa and the twins looked at each other. Aziza threw up his hands. Yes! The answer is yes! Come on, guys! Excellent, Grandpa said. Let's go! They followed the dragon henchmen into the secret passageway of the pyramid. Keeping their distance, they crept through the dark hall as Aziza felt around with his cane. Grandpa couldn't believe he was following this man into Seti's tomb. Everything about this seemed like a terrible idea. The henchmen were probably armed and Grandpa was weaponless. After a few more turns, they came to a dead end. An old wood door blocked their way. Grandpa rattled the door handle. No! They've locked us out! I'd hoped they'd leave it open. Did they have the only key? Sawyer asked. Yes. No! Grandpa looked at Aziza surprised. No? Do you think Aziza pays for his penthouse suite by just working at the cafe? <laughs> Aziza laughed. I also work here at the pyramids. As the janitor. He pulled out a huge ring of keys and showed it to them. Grandpa and the twins gasped. Which one is it? Susie asked. Let's see. Aziza started slowly feeling through the endless keys. Grandpa looked back at the door impatiently. Um, do you have labels on any of those? 
Aziza stroked each key one at a time before moving on to the next. Labels are for amateurs. I know these keys better than I know my own children. True janitors simply have to feel the grooves. No, they don't, Sawyer said. Yes, they do. Susie reached for the ring. Here, how about you describe it and we can find it for you. Aziza yanked the ring away. My keys! Aziza, Grandpa said like he was speaking to a toddler. Mine! Grandpa held up his hands. Okay, you know what? Let's just let him find the key while the dragon gets away with all of Seti's treasure and uses it to take over the world. You Americans are so dramatic, Aziza said. He stopped on an old rusty key and held it up. Aha! See? A true janitor! Wonderful, Grandpa said. He reached for the key. Now I'll just... Ah, ah, ah! Aziza held the key out of Grandpa's reach. That is against every rule in the janitor's book. I can't just hand over my keys. That would make me a lousy guardian now, wouldn't it? There's a janitor rule book? Sawyer wondered out loud. Grandpa smacked his forehead as Aziza reached out and started jabbing the key into the wood door. He poked it, scraped it, tried turning it in a crack or two. Grandpa and the twins tried to guide him with their voices. A little more to the left. Now up. Up more. No, now down. Right. Aziza, right. That's not the hole. That's the wall. Grandpa tried holding Aziza's hand to guide him, but was swatted away. Finally, by some miracle, Aziza's hand circled around the keyhole twice before the key dropped into place. Aziza's hand turned and the door swung open. Inside, a stone tomb in the shape of an Egyptian with his arms crossed over his chest lay on the floor, surrounded by fancy jars and shelves upon shelves of treasure. Gold, silver, and jewels spilled over tables and blanketed the floor. Sawyer felt his heart race. It was like someone had just bashed open a pinata at a birthday party for the richest kid in the world. The piles of riches were staggering to behold. Susie eyed a beautiful ruby necklace draped over one of the jars. Sawyer ogled a gold-plated sword. There it is. Grandpa said, walking over to the dragon's big box on the other side of the room. Grunting, he pried the box open and aimed his flashlight inside. It was empty. Nothing but cobwebs and what looked like a little bowl of food. I thought you said they were here for the treasure, Susie asked. I did, Grandpa said, staring into the box in disbelief. Then why isn't it full of stuff? Maybe they just wandered off to take a pee break, Sawyer suggested, totally serious. Just then, a voice approached from a dark hallway. She isn't here, it said. Boss told us she would... The two henchmen walked into the room and froze. For a moment, all anyone could do was stare at each other. Run! Grandpa shouted. He grabbed a jar off the shelf and threw it at the men. They ducked and the jar exploded into a cloud of ash. While the men were disoriented, Grandpa grabbed Aziza's arm and ran down the hall with the twins. Before long, they could hear footsteps running behind them. Sawyer, take my hat and be as loud as you want! Really? 
sweet! Sawyer grabbed the hat off Grandpa's head, turned the volume strap up all the way and yelled into it. His deafening voice echoed down the hall at the pursuing men. They could hear the men whining from the irritating noise. Susie covered her own ears. Jeez, Sawyer, I've never heard you be so annoying. Thank you. Sawyer shouted some more, making the obnoxious sound of a peacock. They ran through the darkness, up and up and up through the narrow corridors, until they pushed through a door above them and found themselves scrambling out onto the tippy top of the pyramid. Susie screamed when she saw how high up they were. Dust slid down the steep pyramid that slanted hundreds of feet to the ground. Grandpa, what do we do? Sawyer cried. Yeah, Grandpa, Aziza moaned. The voices down in the opening were growing louder. A few more seconds and the dragon henchmen would come barreling out, weapons in hand. Grandpa thought fast. He reached into his pocket and pulled out his flashlight. With a couple twists of its handle, he aimed it at the opening. Everybody get back, he ordered. Aziza and the twins scooted away from the hole. You're going to blind them with your flashlight? Sawyer shouted. Who's blinding who? Aziza said. Just before the henchmen emerged, Grandpa pressed the button on the flashlight, and a gooey black guck spat out and caked the stone surrounding the opening. Furious, the henchmen sprang out of the opening and slipped on the guck. They quickly slid by Grandpa's legs and down the never-ending slope of the pyramid. Their cries faded as they became little dots towards the bottom. Grandpa collapsed back against the pyramid and caught his breath. Susie, he panted. Are there any more instructions? Petrified, Susie carefully opened the guidebook and read, Head for Seti's tomb. We already did that, Sawyer whined. Well, we're doing it again, Grandpa said. The guidebook never repeats itself without good reason. Together they climbed back down through the passageways until they reached Seti's tomb. When they got there, Grandpa looked at Susie. Anything new? Susie shook her head. What were they here for? Sawyer said, peeking inside the dragon's empty box. The sound of scraping stone behind him made him spring to his feet. Everyone turned to face the sarcophagus. The top of the tomb was sliding off. Everyone stepped back as the cover slid aside and fell to the floor with a heavy thud. Um, Gramps, how long has Pharaoh said he been dead? Sawyer asked. A few thousand years, Grandpa answered quietly. A woman with big, frizzy hair covered in dust sat up in the tomb and looked at them, her enormous round glasses magnifying her surprised expression. Grandpa went pale. Eleanor? The twins looked at each other and then back at the woman. Grandma? Um, what?
Emma Boone. This is getting crazy. Oh boy, guys, we are inching closer to the climax of season one of Grandpa's Globe. I hope you're excited because things are getting wild. And I hope you guys learned a few things about Egypt, and in particular about ancient Egypt and pharaohs. There's so much fascinating stuff to learn about the ancient Egyptians. Very cool stuff. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Grandpa's Globe, which has been a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. I want to personally thank my mom, Roxanne Webb, for copy editing this story for me. I have to bust these stories out really fast every week, and I don't have a lot of time to proofread, and my mom is amazing at it, and she wanted to jump in and help out. So she's been proofreading my stories and doing an excellent job. So thank you, mommy. And thank you, Rocketeers, for listening to these stories. Tell your friends and family about the podcast. Give us a rating on Facebook or iTunes. Or just give me your feedback by shooting me an email at purplerocketpodcast at gmail.com or through the contact form on the website. You guys are awesome. Check back next Monday for an all-new episode. This is your host, Greg Webb.